give me first service when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus said, all right, pray this. What's the first words? Our Father who art in heaven. Yeah, 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 stop right there. Okay. See, we know that prayer. And oftentimes we prayed that prayer. For many of you in here, you probably memorized it when you were a kid even. But we for, sometimes it's easy to just breeze right past those first two words. Our Father. Two words that would have made the disciples go, what? <laughs> Excuse me. No one's ever give, told us we can pray to God with those words before. But yet Jesus, very God in the flesh, that's where he begins. By saying, our Father. And for each of us in this room, those two words conjure up different sets of feelings depending on what kind of earthly father we have. But then we go back to Psalm 27 verse 10 where it says, even if our mother or father forsake us, God will receive us. So scripture's clear that what we have in a God is nothing that can be compared to what we've received in an example that hopefully at least some of us in here have had good examples, but, but what we have in a God is not meant to start with our earthly example. It starts with who he is. And Jesus says, I want you to start your prayer by recognizing that he wants to be called your father. Recognized as such. And that he's the kind of father that even if you have been forsaken, even if that earthly example has been forsaken, Psalm 27 verse 10, he not only doesn't forsake you, he receives you. That you can come to him no matter the season, no matter what is shaking around you. And he receives you with his arms that though we can't feel him and see him, what we do feel is peace as one arm and love as the other arm and grace. I'm running out of arms, but you you get my picture, right? That God envelops us in his very nature. And so, Lord, I want to pray over your people this morning for all who call you their God, that they would also know you as their Father and that they would feel your arms of peace and joy and love and truth whispered into their ears this morning, reminding them who they are and who you are. That you're God who not only won't fail, but can't fail. That you're God that you build your church as we just sang. We just learn to live life with you and keep saying yes to you each step of the way. So Lord, we, I pray that as we gather today, that each person in this room will be reminded of the Father that you are, that they will be open and receive your love for them. And that as we walk out of here, God, we walk out of here renewed and remembering that we are your children and praising your name because there is no father like you. We love you. We praise you. Just sing this with me. Sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures
So we breathe deep this morning of your grace. And may as we breathe out, may it be gratitude and joy. We love you, our Father. Amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. And once again, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there today. Um, I, man, I thank God for so many of you dads. You get up every morning and you try to seek to do what's best for your kids. I, I praise God for you. I, um, as a dad, of, I'm a younger dad, all right, young kids, I've watched a lot of you in this room. And I can point to several of you here that I have learned from the way that you teach your kids, the way that you love your kids, the way you're patient with your kids. Like, thank you. That's one of the things I love about being the church together is that we get to come alongside of each other and grow in all the things that God has called us to do. Everybody get an amen there. Yep. Yeah. And, and the challenge that I feel on a regular basis is trying to figure out how do I raise my kids to know who God says they are and to live with genuine purpose, his purpose in their lives. So a year ago, I had a group of dads and I got together uh, to study this book written by a New York City pastor named John Tyson called The Intentional Father. And in it, Tyson talks about uh, raising kids with, as he calls, courage and character. And the reason why I picked up the book is because those two words synced with my heart's ache for my kids. Courage and character. Because I see that my kids, just by looking at the culture around, around us, our culture is somewhat anemic in these two qualities. That instead of courage, it seems that anxiety and, and the pursuit of comfort define the day. Instead of character anchored in clear conviction... It seems that, that a lot of people are unmotivated or, or disillusioned or, or blowing with the winds of society around us and not sure which way to go. And so as a dad, man, what I crave for my kids is that they would know who they are in God and know the purpose that he's called them to so that they can live with courage and character into the very purposes of God. Does that, I mean, like that fires me up. Does that fire anybody else up? Yeah. And so as we think about that, though, I, I get fired up by that vision, but oftentimes my anxiety, or my, sorry, my excitement turns to anxiety once I start asking, okay, well, how do I do it? Right? Do, courage and character. Hoorah, right? But like, <laughs> like, what do I do with my kids this week that helps bring that about in them? Like, it, do I have what it takes? Does my life exemplify courage and character? Am, am I daily demonstrating that or am I just going through the motions waiting to the moment that I can put them to bed? <laughs> I'm getting real here. But if you feel any of that with me, then I want to speak to that today. And while this message that I have today is for everyone, I especially want to speak to men on this Father's Day. This message is for women, but I find that men, especially young men, struggle with a lot of these questions of how do we live with courage and character. Last year, there's a British scholar named Richard Reeves who released a book called Of Boys and Men. 
which documents just how unfulfilled, unmotivated, anxious, and frustrated many young men are. And I read a stat this week that talked about of what we call like despair deaths. Despair deaths are like overdoses or suicide. That four out of every five despair deaths in our nation are men. Men. Something's up, guys. Something's wrong. And we could point to a, a variety of contributing factors, right? From lack of good role models or absence of the father at home, comfort culture, harmful ideas of toxic masculinity, disruptions in our jobs, confusion over sexuality, addiction to porn. We could keep going, right? But as a result... Many men, and women too, but many men are plagued with fear, going through the motions, unhealthy, frustrated with their lives, and aching for something more. And if any of that resonates with you, then the question we're asking today and seeking to address in God's Word is what vision does Jesus give us for how to live with extraordinary purpose? What vision does Jesus give us for life? And to answer that, we're going to start by looking at the story of a first century Jewish guy named Peter. An ordinary fisherman alongside the Sea of Galilee. And like many of us, he craved a life of significance. But who was he? He was going through the motions at the bottom half of the socioeconomic ladder in an area ruled and controlled by a bunch of heartless Romans. I mean, talk about frustrated, feeling out of control. But then one day, while he and his brother Andrew were fishing, a rabbi named Jesus came up to them and said, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, I have no clue if they knew what that meant or not, but they did follow, and that began quite the journey for them, to say the least. And then after following Jesus for three plus years, Peter was not the same man, was he? And so we're going to pick up his story, but we're going to look in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. And this story that we're going to look at takes place after Jesus has lived, died, and rose again. And Peter was a witness to all of it. And then Jesus ascended the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, came down upon Peter and the early Christ followers in Jerusalem. And Peter went out in the city preaching that Christ rose from the dead, even proclaiming the name of Jesus, healing over a guy who was born crippled, 40 years old, and he got up. The religious leaders in Jerusalem weren't happy because Peter was telling everybody Jesus was alive, but they couldn't explain how the crippled man was healed. And that's exactly where we're going to pick up the story. All right? So as we continue in our series called Extraordinary... As we read this story, I want you to ask, what makes Peter so extraordinary? All right, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It's page 885 in those blue Bibles in front of you, if you want to open those. 885. But Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. Right, here we go. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 
The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and we are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter, everybody say courage, courage. and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you <laughs> or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Oh Lord, I pray that your word, that it will sink in deep. And God, that you help us differentiate the visions of purpose that the world may give us and the vision that you give us, Jesus. And may it ignite a fire within our hearts and lead us to a life of purpose that can only be found with you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. I absolutely love this story. I don't know about you, like this is one of the best stories to me. Like these big religious high priests, big beards in Jerusalem, they know Peter and John are ordinary men, but yet they sit there astonished at them and their courage. And Peter's come a long way from the Sea of Galilee, hasn't he? A long way. How? Well, in order to get that, we need to understand Jesus' vision that he has for not only his life, but for all of us. But in order to understand what Jesus' vision is, I want to first lay out what his vision is not. Because I, I realize I want to separate his vision from an extremely popular one today. Because I find many people today, especially men, are buying a high-charged vision of how to be extraordinary. But God is optional. Optional. I mean, it's no secret that we live in a society where the number of Christ followers seems to be in decline. But that doesn't mean people aren't searching for answers. And, it, and it, with many disillusioned people, especially men in our society, if they're not turning to the Bible or Christianity, they don't think God has the answers, then where are they going? Well, there's a bunch of places, but I find that more and more I see men turning to the self-help philosophy 
of men like Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, and the former Navy SEAL David Goggins. Now, I'm not trying to pick on these guys by calling them out. But if you're unfamiliar with them or those like them, the reason why I have to is to lay out like the Joe Rogan experience is one of, if not the most popular podcast in America with millions of listeners. Jordan Peterson, has, his YouTube channel alone has 7 million subscribers. David Goggins wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me, sold 2.5 million copies. These are major influencers in our culture. And there, a lot of people are buying their message. And so what's the essence of their message? Well, if I could whittle it way down, they may say it all in different ways, but the essence is don't settle for ordinary. Go out this week and crush it. Hustle. If you want to be great, work harder than anyone and achieve more. In a video that's viewed almost four million times, Joe Rogan says, you can choose to be the hero of your own story right now. Write down your goals. Write down what you want to improve. Write down what you want to tolerate from yourself. And go forth from here. Sounds like a benediction, doesn't it? Go forth from here as the hero of your own story. The subtitle of Goggins' book is Master Your Mind, Defy the Odds. Now the essence is, if you fail, don't let it define you, but grind yourself to the bone if you need to with uncompromised discipline and virtue. Now you're probably thinking, but Kirk, all that sounds good. Hard work, discipline, virtue, tenacity, aren't those good things? Yes, they are all good things. So what's the problem? Well, it's possible to take on good values that are not rooted in Jesus' vision for our life. To have values rooted in a different sort of vision for our life. And so before we buy any human philosophy or teaching, wisdom asks first, what's the end goal? And by what power do we reach that goal? Two filter questions. What's the end goal? And by what power do we reach that goal? So first, for anybody, if we're listening to someone ask, what's their end goal here? Well, what did Joe Rogan say? To be the hero of your own story. Or Goggins states in his book, it's possible to transcend anything that doesn't kill you. The goal is to be, you be the hero. Your own transcendence. See, each self-help teacher may say it differently, but the common vision is to become your ultimate self, to transcend this world to God-like greatness. And by what power do you get there? Your own relentless attitude and effort. They say the power is already in you. Write down your goals and go for it. Harden your resolve. Master your mind. Eliminate your desire for any external things. And you will be your ultimate self. You will be great. And while that sounds good, what I'm trying to point out is that this whole idea has become this pseudo-religion that promises God-like greatness for us through the power of self, but God himself is optional. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but the reason why I got to point it out is because I've seen many Christians have believed this, or at least some version of it, and it's actually formed how many men view manhood. I've got to crush it, but again, God is optional. But even if we don't buy the self-help crush it philosophy, we can still slip in, it can still slip into how we determine our value 
and our lifestyles. That is how we live. Because according to the Crush It guys, if you're not getting out and accomplishing and achieving, what are you doing? Like we can all be, we can be all about getting stuff done, accomplishing, achieving things. But do I think that by accomplishing, that's how I justify my existence? Do you hear the difference? Working hard is good, but do I depend on getting stuff done to determine that I'm valuable? But we know as followers of Christ that your worth, your value does not depend on what you accomplish. Thank you, Jesus. But if we do think that our value is in what we accomplish, we may never let up. We will continue to crush it until we crash. You know, if you can't tell, I'm a type A driven kind of guy. Right? And honestly, the whole crush it mantra gets, like, gets me excited. I love the adrenaline of getting stuff done, checking things off a list. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with liking that feeling. But what we can do is that we can start crushing it, crushing it, crushing it until we finally just crash and we can't go anymore. And so we just work to ourselves to the bone and then all we can do is just want to sit and veg and watch TV. And you got to ask, like, is that the fulfilling life? Is that the life that God has called us to live? And not only that, but when you begin to be more advanced in years and you can't crush like you once crushed, right? Once you get to that place, do you start to think that you're somehow less than what you were? Do you look back to your younger days and think, well, man, that's when I was more valuable? You starting to see how this breaks down? And in my life, I've experienced the crush it to crash, crush it to crash pendulum many times. And even in the midst of all of it, I'm still wondering, have I done enough? Am I enough? So is that the vision of a fulfilled life? Well, let's look at Peter's story. Because in it, we see something different. We still see in Peter an ordinary fisherman who discovered a vision for life that changed him forever and that left him changed. But what does Peter's story teach us? What is Jesus' vision? That Jesus' vision for a life of extraordinary purpose can only be realized with him. See, before Jesus, I can imagine Peter was a lot like many young men today, craving something different. So when Jesus came and called him to follow, Peter's like, yeah, great, drop my nets and I go. I can imagine G Peter was always wanting to be extraordinary, which is why I think he was one of the first ones to step out of that boat and actually try to walk on water. Peter had this unbridled fire in him, which is why he took that sword and chopped off the ear of the Roman soldier trying to arrest Jesus. But in the midst of all of that, I think internally he struggled with fear and feelings of failure, case in point. When the very moment that Jesus needed him, he had been arrested. He denied him not once, but three times before he was crucified. But what we just read in Acts 4, Peter's a different man. He's a different man. We saw, if you read Acts 2, 
Peter goes out and preaches and 3,000 people come to Christ. Acts 3. He goes up to a 40-year-old crippled man and says, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And he does. Acts 4. He preaches and another 2,000 are added to the church in that day. And then he's arrested and stands before some of the most highly educated, accomplished hustlers, crushers in Jerusalem. But they can't make any sense of this. And it says, when they saw the courage Oh man, I want, don't you crave that? The courage of Peter and John and realize that they weren't schooled in the rabbinic ways like they were and they were ordinary men. They were astonished. How are they doing this? Next line. And they took note, so we should too, that these men had been with Jesus. Did that, when we were reading that earlier, did that not make you stop too? How could a fisherman preach and thousand come to Christ? Because they had been with Jesus. How could these guys have the faith to actually tell a crippled man to get up and walk? Because they had been with Jesus. What made Peter extraordinary? He had been with Jesus. That's it. That's it. And because Peter had been with Jesus, his end goal was to live for Jesus. Because Peter knew failure and shame. And after Jesus was arrested and Peter denied him three times, realizing in that moment that Peter sought to protect his own back instead of standing up for Jesus, he felt like a coward. Can you imagine how he might have felt in that moment? The shame, the guilt. But you know how the story goes. That our sinless Savior died to pay the debt of our sin. And he stepped out of that grave making the way to life. And he appeared to his disciples, including Peter, the one who denied him. Now can you imagine that moment? Jesus is alive? The, both the joy and the shame of this? But if you read in John chapter 21, that's the moment that the resurrected Lord sat down and had breakfast with Peter. Asked him three times, do you love me? Met him with grace. And he called Peter to love him with his whole life. And there's something beautiful that happens in the very moment that our failures are not just forgotten, but our failures are brought to our God and met with grace. It humbles our self-reliant hearts. Because self-help focuses on what I do. But the way of Christ is all about what he has done. We're taught also as men, we're not supposed to need anybody, but a man of God starts by realizing how much he needs Jesus. And when we experience the love of God, the love of our Father, even in our failure, we realize that he loves me despite what I've done. And when that sinks in, man, we... Why would I live for anybody else but him? And so when Peter preaches, all he wants to talk about is Jesus. And when the high priest command Peter to deny Jesus, this time he says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And in the end of this story is not the praise of Peter's name, but the praise of God. Very different end than the self-help philosophy.
And because Peter had been with Jesus, he also knew the power and authority given to him toward that end. Because when we focus on the glory of God, we can trust that his power goes with us. So when the, the, the chief priest challenged Peter, by what power or what name did you do this? Peter, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, Ooh. <laughs> but whom God raised from the dead. Listen, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then I want to tell you, subscribe to Joe Rogan's podcast. Because the best chance we got is to get out there and crush it. If Jesus is not alive, you better just try your best. But since he is alive and we belong to him by faith in his grace, we have the assurance that his spirit is always at work in and through us. And since it's Father's Day, let's bring up this verse. Luke eleven thirteen. 13, Jesus even said, If we as dads, who can be kind of selfish sometimes, still know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to go with us, in us, work through us. We were never meant to go at this world alone, but with Jesus Jesus, who is the one who, who always has been, who is and who will be, the bright morning star, the firstborn among the dead, the king of kings, our savior, the one who even says, hey, I'm come as your friend. So how could an ordinary fisherman do what he did? He had been with Jesus. Well, you know what? We can learn to live with Jesus too. The very same spirit that was available to him is available to us. The very same grace that was available to him is available to us. And God actually calls us as followers of Christ to live spirit-empowered lives too. But how do we live into that? See, God will do what only he can do through us as we learn a lifestyle of being with Jesus. See, one of the things that, I, that we share in common with Jesus' vision and the self-help philosophy share common value in discipline. But for the leaders of the Crush It movement, they discipline themselves so they can master themselves. Goggins' book, Master Your Mind, Defy the Odds. But for followers of Jesus, we discipline ourselves so that we're only mastered by him. The crush it movement says eliminate your desire for everything external so that when disappointment or loss comes, you won't be crushed by it. But Peter said, because we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he says, you can set all your hope on him and you will never be disappointed. You guys tracking with me? So... As we think about what does it mean to develop a lifestyle of being with Jesus, that just like we have habits that train our bodies for fitness, we can develop habits that train our souls for life with Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Well, what do we learn from Peter? First, our ability to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus, grows stronger as we set apart time with him. If you follow Peter's story... You're going to see just scattered throughout it, worship, 
prayer, scripture at every turn because he had learned to incorporate these rhythms into his life from Jesus. And I know in church we talk a lot about prayer. We talk a lot about reading scripture. We talk a lot about worship. And that runs the danger of becoming cliche if we forget why we talk about it so much. Because the reason why we worship is just so we can keep God and ourselves in proper perspective. We pray because by prayer we communicate with the living God. That we learn to listen for his will over ours. We confess our sin. We lay down our anxieties and we express to him the desires of our hearts. We study and meditate on God's words so that we get to know his voice. And it is with these disciplines that are incorporated within our lives that it prepares us to walk with Jesus no matter if we're on a mountaintop or in a valley. Because we cannot, none of us in here are going to be able to run up Mount Washington unless you've done months worth of lunges and interval training and hiking ahead of time, right? Nor should we expect that we're going to walk, be able to have the strength to walk with Jesus amidst all the temptations and struggles of life unless we have developed habits that keep us attuned to his voice and walking with him. We don't pray and read scripture and worship and come on Sunday mornings so that we can go check, 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 I have crushed it for Jesus, right? That's not it, right? Like it doesn't earn us brownie points with God, but these things train us so that we become available to God at all times. So as we learn to develop those habits, set apart time with him, we walk with him. But second, we learn to live with Jesus as we do life with other Christians. Notice, Peter didn't try to do all this on his own. He may have been the main spokesperson, but John went with him everywhere. And even after this whole scene we just read, they booked it right back to the community of, of other Christ followers where they might pray and be encouraged and built up. Because that's, that's why we need each other, guys. We need Christian community if we're going to walk with Jesus. Because we all get those days where we feel like just walking away from Jesus. But we come together, encourage each other, pray for each other, support each other, challenge each other when appropriate and in healthy ways. I mean, think back your, over your own life. Where would you be today if it were not for other Christ followers who at various points in your story have come alongside of you? I mean, think about it. We need Christian community. We need it. So not only we set apart time with him, and we do life with other Christians, but last, life with Jesus means stepping out in obedience when he leads us. That we can do a lot of time with Jesus reading the Bible and praying. We can spend a lot of time in church. But if Jesus is going out to minister somebody and we don't go with him, we've actually, <laughs> we're no longer walking with him. But we see that God used Peter's obedience to share the good news of the risen Lord as the catalyst that sparked a global movement. Ordinary fishermen. Through his and John's obedience, a crippled man was healed. And it was their obedience that resulted in the praise of God, not only throughout Jerusalem, but spread across the region of Judea into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're still talking about it 2,000 plus years later. And it was their obedience that caused the hard-hearted big beards to drop their jaws and recognize these men had been with Jesus. And so as 
we spend time with him, set apart time with him, as we spend time with other followers, it is by stepping out into obedience, loving our neighbors, sharing who Christ is with others. That is what causes the world to realize that we we serve a God who is alive. So may it be said of us, clearly they have been with Jesus. And so as we talk about all these things and embrace these habits and create this with Jesus lifestyle, that's when we see what an extraordinary God can do through ordinary people. And to close, I want to speak to the men of God in here one more time. Men of God, you might drive an F-350 or a Toyota Camry. You might like to run marathons or plant gardens. You might fix cars or take photos. You might like to watch football or rom-coms with your wife. You might like to backpack through the woods, living solely off the jerky from the deer you killed, from the bow and arrow that you crafted, from the tree that was behind the log cabin that you built. (laughs) Right? Or you might like to just go to nice restaurants and listen to jazz, right? (laughs) But no matter who you are, None of, those, none of that stuff makes you the man of God that you are. None of that stuff makes you a man of God at all. None of that determines your value. None of that can fulfill your frustrated, unfulfilled selves. We did not become men of God because of who we are as men, but because of who our God is and who he says you are, his son. And when we get a love like that, and when we get a God like that, It not only humbles us, but we realize Jesus is the most important thing about us. And he is our standard. He's the one we want to live for. And he's the one we want to walk with. And so I ask us, but now not just men, but everybody in this room, man, what is the next step as you seek to live a with Jesus kind of life? Does it begin by realizing that, man, you love your checklist and you love the feeling of crushing it, but you haven't set apart time to be with Jesus Right? Like, if that's you, like, that's, that's a discipline I've had to work into my life because I love getting stuff done. But I've had to discipline myself to set apart time with Him. And man, what a difference that makes in my day on a regular basis. Maybe that's for you. Maybe you realize I need to prune back some of the stuff I'm doing in order to set apart time to be with Jesus. Or maybe you realize you've been trying to go at this life alone. You've been doing a lot of this Jesus stuff, but not with anybody else. Maybe it's time to lean into Christian community. Or maybe third, like, like a soldier in boot camp. You've been reading, you've been praying, you've been coming to Bible studies and small groups, and you've been doing all of that. Well, maybe God is saying, all right, now it's time to leave boot camp. Now it's time to actually step out. Now it's actually time to share Christ with somebody. Now it's time to love your neighbor. Now it's time to do that thing that I've placed in your heart to do. Now it's time to step out. Or for a lot of us dads in here, maybe we realize, you know what? Now is the time for us to teach our kids how to live life with Jesus. To think about some rhythms you can incorporate in our own homes so that we teach them how to walk with Jesus in their lives so that they know who they are and what God has called them to do. But in all these things, may it be said of us, clearly they have been with Jesus. All right, let's stand and pray. Lord.
We praise you and we thank you. And it is our ultimate end and goal because we have encountered your grace and your love. And there really is no one like you. We want to see you glorified and magnified not only in our lives but in our families, in our kids, in our grandkids, in all the generations to come, in our communities where we live, in our neighborhood. We want to see the name of Jesus lifted up. We want this world to see and experience that you are not just a figment of our imagination. You are not just a human philosophy. You are not just a concept, but you are a living God at work in and through people in this world and inviting the world into relationship with yourself. So Lord, we trust that you're the God who does the work. You're the God who works our job is to learn to live with you, to live with one another and to keep saying yes every time you lead us out. God, thank you that your mission doesn't depend on our strength. Oh, I'm so thankful for that because it would not be happening if it did but it depends on you and your spirit. So open us up. May we be available, humble us by your grace, and lead us with a full heart out to those far from you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.